Welcome to the Truth About College Admission podcast. My name is Rick Clark. I'm the AVP and Executive Director of Undergraduate Admission at Georgia Tech. And I am Brennan Barnard. I'm the Director of College Counseling at the Khan Lab School. In this episode, we had the opportunity to speak with Jeff Salingo, who has written about higher education for more than two decades and is a New York Times bestselling author of three books. His latest, Who Gets In and Why, A Year Inside College Admission, was published in September of 2020 and named among the 100 most notable books of the year by the New York Times. He is a regular contributor to The Atlantic. He is a special advisor for innovation and professor of practice at Arizona State University. And he also co-hosts the podcast Future You. Well, we had a great conversation with Jeff, and he also has a newsletter called Next and a LinkedIn webinar. And I mean, you name it, Jeff's Jeff's done it and he's out there. And so uh, I highly recommend as well getting on some of those those uh, newsletters and on the list. And, you know, a lot of what he's talked about, right, is the value of college and the bachelor's degree. And I really appreciate our conversation. I hope you'll listen to uh, what he talks about around value and students and families really looking at the experience they want to have, not just taking it by the numbers and prestige and things like that, but thinking about the actual experience on campus and how that adds value to really what you're buying. Absolutely. And we also get into talking through return on investment and value, not just about a particular college or type of college, but also degrees and majors and how that may be different or assessed differently based on the particular program of study that a student is looking at. But in addition to that, we talked through this concept of skills. So not just what you might study at a particular college or university, but the skills that are going to set you up well for being hired, for differentiating yourself among other candidates, and then how do you evaluate that as you are looking at particular colleges and universities? So with no further ado, here is our conversation with Jeff Salingo. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for being with us today and looking forward to the conversation. Great to be here. Absolutely. Um, Last episode, we talked with John Leach from Emory and covered, you know, financial aid, uh, some of the confusion points for families, the fact that not all colleges provide information in the same way. We talked through terminology and that kind of thing. But one piece that he started to highlight was this concept of families' willingness to pay for college versus their ability to pay for college. And you know, right now there's so much out in the media, many conversations politically and otherwise around the value of college. You've written about this. You've talked about this in your own podcast on Future You. I'm just wondering when you talk to families, when you think about this, when you frame for folks the concept of is college worth it? Where do you start and how do you advise people to start conceiving of this notion of is college worth it right now? Well, I think there's a belief that college is worth it, but I think the question is really what does that term worth mean, right? We know, and we know from recent research that Matt Singleman and I did at the Burning Glass Institute that a particularly a four-year degree, and that's the other thing we need to delineate here is between a two-year degree and a four-year degree, because we found in this report that a four-year bachelor's degree, almost no matter where you go, almost no matter what you major in, you're still going to have an earnings premium compared to somebody with a high school diploma. And you're going to have that immediately after college, and, and it remains consistent for the 12 years that we study. But it's better than an associate's degree, and an associate's degree in some ways doesn't actually pay much more than a high school diploma. So that's, that's an important point to make. 
But then the worth question, I think, becomes, it's not go to college or not go to college. I think the, the conversations that I'm having, and I think, Rick and Brandon, what really surprises me is where I'm having these conversations. I think that people who didn't go to college, they've always been a little suspicious of, of higher education. Uh, we know that in the college going rates, you know, hey, I, I somewhat succeeded by not going to college. So, you know, my kids could succeed. We know that in underrepresented communities across the country, even across the world, lower income families, you know, certain races and ethnicities, lower college going rates. But what I'm kind of surprised by now is that in the neighborhoods that you would always expect, college is just automatic after high school. It's not that they're saying, oh, we're not going to go to college, but the question of worth and value comes up a lot more than it used to. And so a little bit of it is, you know, highly selective or selective or bust because they see those two things as proxies for each other, value and, and, mm -hmm. and selectivity. And then the question is, is this fill in the blank college, wherever it might fall in the rankings, is it, is it really worth 30, 40, 50, $60,000, whatever that might be? And so that willingness to pay, I think, is much different than when I started covering this 25 years ago. And, and I don't know what it is, because these are still pretty, in some cases, affluent families. Um, in other cases, they are middle class families. They're very similar to the families you know, I grew up in, where my father was a high school teacher. Mm -hmm. And they, they are questioning that part of it now. Again, it's not that they won't go at all, but they really want to know, what am I going to get out of this? And is it really worth whatever I'm going to have to pay. Yeah. And a lot of the conversations I'm having with families are folks talking about kind of the networking effect. Are they paying for the degree? Are they paying for the, the network? Are they paying for the relationships they're going to build while they're in college? And so it's, it's nuanced. You know, I think as the summer approaches, uh, families will be out kind of shopping around for colleges, right? And doing their research on where to visit and apply. So Jeff, what are some questions that families should be asking uh, to get a sense of how well a place is preparing students for career opportunities and that kind of thing. So, Brendan, I want to jump in on that in a second. But, but the other word that I hear often, and I don't use this term lightly, is a scam, right? Like they feel like they're being had, right? And mm -hmm. if you go into any of the messaging groups on Facebook or Reddit or things like that, again, these are highly educated people who are comparing, especially around financial aid, they're comparing financial aid offers, and they always feel like they're being taken a little bit. And they want to check in with the community to say, hey, I got this offer from these schools. Like, what do you think? And it's really interesting, again, and I think that's the power of social media and these communities, which really grew up during the pandemic, particularly, you know, whether it's Road to College or Grown and Flown and the others that we know are the Reddit threats. Like, that's the other thing that I think is different now, Brennan, than even five or six years ago. It's not only the questioning, but they feel like in some ways colleges are no different than like a used car salesman or, mm. you know, the HVAC people who are always trying to get upsell you. It's just, it's like, that's the part that I, if I were colleges, I'd be a little worried about. But Brennan, in terms of your question, in terms of what they should be looking for, I think a lot of it is at the end of the day, college comes down to people. And I feel like we kind of miss that in the college search. I feel like we're always looking for prestige, however we define that in the rankings, right? We're looking for particular programs because of what we're going to major in. Maybe we're looking for a particular part of the country, but we don't really kick the tires enough, I think, when you actually get to, if you visit campuses, like who are the people on those campuses? Are the students out and about? Are they engaged with each other? 
Are they talking to professors? Are professors talking to them? Are professors available? What are the classes really like? It's interesting. I got in a little trouble recently because I did an Instagram post from the University of California at San Diego. And in it, I suggested students go visit classes. And you cannot believe how many (laughs) faculty members and admissions deans I heard from. Oh, don't do that. You know, first of all, they'll get in trouble. You can't just walk into buildings anymore. Do you know how secure our campuses are and things like that? It was interesting that that was the reaction. The reaction wasn't, Jeff, we should really figure out how to get students <laughs> talking to professors as prospective students. It was all about we have to lock down our campuses and prevent prospective students and families from understanding what they're buying. It was just mm-hmm. it was it was just shocking to me. <laughs> it's it's like Jeff Salingo's own version of swatting, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was like you got to be kidding me. But so to me, it is about those people relationships. And it's hard to measure that. You can't put a number on it, right? Like you can around SAT scores or ACT scores or GPAs or any of the other measures that go into the rankings. You can't look at it the way you look at a building uh, or when you go into eat in the dining hall and they serve you all the fancy food. I've been a long critic of the campus tours because most of the campus tours I've taken when they take you into academic buildings, it's a drive-through for the most part. You may go into the lobby. You know, you're going to spend a decent amount of your time connecting with classmates and faculty members, and you hardly ever see them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's so interesting because I've been having this conversation a bunch mm-hmm. with folks around chat GPT and, and AI and the use of that in college search. It's pretty powerful to see some of the tools that can help you kind of hone in on the schools that might be of interest to you. But the conversations I've been having with families are around, it's not going to be able to tell you the experience you're going to have, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's the piece that I think is inherently human. And this is, I think this is the biggest problem we have right now, especially with the rankings and especially as uh, highly competitive schools like Georgia Tech get even more competitive, right? Is that you have to start to look for option B. And I don't think option B is a bad thing, but I think too many people, are their lists are still not balanced enough. Um, they're still kind of aiming too high. And when I say too high, I mean, even places that five or six years ago wouldn't have been considered high in their cases. And then they end up at a place where they didn't really do the homework because it was kind of a, a place that they threw on the list at the last minute because their counselor told them to, their parents told them to, or somebody else. And now at this time of year, you know, they're kind of a little disappointed with their choices. Now it may end all end up working out. And it's interesting sure. because it's been four years since I followed that group of students in my book. And I'm, I'm going back to them right now to see how their college experience was. And most mm-hmm. people end up at a place that they didn't think they would, but it actually has turned out in the end for the best, right? And we always hope that. I don't know if that's a story we just tell ourselves or we, we <laughs> hope it. So anyway, so that's uh, so I think that a lot of this is around the relationships. And I think Beyond, again, the rankings, we don't know how to make sense of that big middle in higher education. And as we all know, there are a lot of great places in that vast middle Mm. of higher education. And I hate to even use that term, right, because it really puts way too much emphasis on the rankings. But when I hear from parents, that's what they want to try to figure out. Like, we know the top 10 schools. Either we're not interested in it or we're not going to get into them, right? Like, help us figure out this big group in the middle. Where yeah. are the good ones? Where are the not so good ones? Where are the good fits? Because that's where they're having the issue right now. Right. Yeah. And I mean, a big part of that is 
all right, getting past admit rates or getting past rankings, understanding outcomes. What's it going to set you up for? What are going to be your job prospects when you're done and the network that you're going to create? Um, one thing that you were talking about earlier, thinking about, you know, the inability sometimes to get into classes or some of the information that colleges don't put out there. One thing that I've found, you know, outside of Reddit, which can be of help, and I think ChatGPT is good at scraping information, right? It, it's, a, it's a good tool for getting like baseline. That's like you said, Brennan, it's not going to talk about experience but it's good about aggregating data. Where I do think you can get some pretty good organic insight into schools is on social media, for sure, but also alumni magazines and student newspapers. I still think student newspapers are a great resource for seeing students' frustrations, which is you know to be taken with a grain of salt, but also the things they're excited about and the good things that are happening. So you know, I would point families to that, and especially it's so easy to grab pretty much any school's online student newspaper and, and get a sense. It's a great way to prepare for the visits. Brennan, you were talking about a lot of families getting out to do that soon. One thing that I wanted to talk a little bit about was in the media in particular, it seems, and, and some of the conversations that you will see on some of these threads is, I think, a very stark line drawn between talking about particular majors. We've been talking about colleges. Is this university or this college preparing students well? What are the job prospects or grad school prospects when they finish in terms of outcomes and return on investment? But what about majors? You, you've done a lot of um, research into this and a lot of digging and conversations with high-level folks around the country. You know, it seems like people are quick to say, if it's STEM, if it's engineering or CS or, you know, some of these like pure sciences, it's worth it. And then there's this whole bucket, right, that might include pretty much anything they're not talking about. Maybe that's the English major, proverbial English major, business majors, architects. I mean, who knows what? Uh, but everything else just doesn't get talked about. And the implication, therefore, is it's not paying off. It's not worth it. And I guess I'm just curious, do you see the dichotomy as clear as that? And how do families sort of start to hone in more so on, all right, I got into this school or I'm interested in this school. Now, what about the majors or academic programs uh, that I might be considering? I do, Rick. And I think there's a close connection to that value before, like, where, again, where I'm talking to families if the kid's going to you know, major in any STEM field, it's worth it to them almost no matter where they go. If it's a different major, there's a different question, right? Like what kind of work experience are they going to get? What type of internships? What's the actual net cost going to be if they're not majoring in STEM? It's almost like STEM will pay anything. Um, but, and we'll go almost anywhere. Right. But, mm -hmm. but right. for these other majors, we won't pay anything. We won't go everywhere. Um, and what's interesting about this paper that I mentioned, and um, you know, we'll make sure you put that in your show notes, is that when we looked at the returns on investment for a bachelor's degree, we saw that three things mattered. Obviously, getting the degree was one of them. Well, four things when you think about that. So getting the degree, where you got it from, makes sense, right? The more selective places have better returns, right? Because essentially, as we talked earlier, you're buying a network. The major matters. STEM majors uh, had a better return on investment, not surprisingly. Selectivity actually didn't matter there, right? So actually, if you major in STEM, you could actually go to a less selective place and still do as just as well because there's just such demand for those majors. But the fourth piece is one that we don't talk enough about, I think, is skills, specific job skills like data analysis, you know, data analytics, very hot right now, or data visualization, or communication, or you know, any of the softer, hard skills that are really sought after by employers now. If you have those skills, and you could build those on top of your degree, no matter what it's in, and mm -hmm. by the way, if you have those skills and not many other people in your degree field have them, 
let's take a history major who has data visualization skills. You're golden and you're going to do really well, even with a history major. And so Mm -hmm. I think the one thing that we don't talk enough about in the college search is, okay, you're going to go to this college and you're going to major in this. But what are the skills that you want to leave college with? What are those in-demand skills? And it was really interesting. I, I met somebody who works for Salesforce last year, and she was telling me that her daughter was about to graduate in graphic design or something like that, or maybe it was a general business major. And she said, you need to know how to use the Adobe suite and get mm-hmm. certified in that, right? Have certification in that. And she did. And she got a job largely because of that one skill and having the certification to show that. And I don't think we talk to students enough about that. Like, what should you come out of school knowing? Yeah. Well, and that's a great point. And, and, and so to build on that, you know, I've heard you talk a bunch with uh, different schools, and I know you've done a bunch of research into this, about which schools are really building out programs to support that skill building in addition to the traditional bachelor's degree. But how do families find out, you know, how do they do their own homework about specific colleges, specific majors, you know, are there websites you suggest? Are there are there ways to get an idea for schools that are really doing that skill building well? Well, I think the skill building is a little bit more difficult than the return on investment by degree by institution. I think the college scorecard is really good on trying to figure out, okay, what's my basic return on investment salary wise going to be at this institution majoring in this major, right? And, and how much debt am I going to take on? How much am I going to pay? Big fan of this college scorecard. I'm still shocked at how many people, you know, when you when you say this at a group of parents in high school and even counselors don't even yeah. know, right? Yeah. That it exists. And it's getting better. It constantly gets mm-hmm. better. So I think that's a, a great resource. In terms of the skill, I think that you you kind of have to almost do it yourself in some ways. I think some schools are better than others at this, but you know, nobody's really terrific at this. And I think what what you need to do is as you get into college and you say, okay, I'm gonna major in X history or business. Then I think you need to look at jobs in those fields. You need to start looking at job ads freshman year, sophomore year, and look at what are they looking for in those jobs? Like, what are the skill sets they're looking for? Are they looking for specific software? Are they looking for specific knowledge of certain things? The work that Burning Glass Institute does is really look at keywords in job ads. You should do the same thing. Start to look at job ads, not because you're going to apply for those jobs, but what are the common threads that you see in those things? And if you see they're looking for this Adobe suite I was talking about, if everybody just keeps asking for that or the ability to use a data visualization, you know, whatever program that might be like, and again, what are they looking for? And I think that's the skill you need to leave with. And again, that's a little bit of DIY in it because I don't think most places are going to tell you. It's interesting thinking about um, what you're saying, you know, if you rewind maybe a decade or even more ago, you had this idea of double majoring, and then it became interdisciplinary teaching or whatever. And, and all of this is sort of the evolution of what we're discussing, which is like, how yep. can you make yourself as relevant as possible? How can you ultimately have as many choices and options when you graduate from college to make yourself employable. I mean, I have an eighth grader who's heading into high school. And what I keep talking to him is like, sure, do well in high school, but man, get Spanish. Just become fluent in Spanish. That is going to open so many doors that wouldn't be open otherwise. It's kind of like what you're saying about this skill building is like the more of those kind of things you have in your toolbox, the more choices and options 
you know, you're ultimately going to have when you're done. Here at Tech, we're looking at integrating computer science into more of our majors. So as you were saying earlier, instead of having to, quote, just be a CS major, you can be a public policy major that has that strong CS background, right? And that's just going to be invaluable, I think. Yeah. And I'd also say the Occupational Outlook Handbook that the U.S. government puts out, right? And and you can look by major and you can do some of that kind of data mining that you're talking about, Jeff, and look at the skills that they need to succeed in different jobs and, and also see what the median salary is for those jobs and what the outlook is for those jobs in the coming years and that kind of thing. Rick, I was laughing at your story because I have a seventh grader really good in Spanish, right? So I always talk about the foreign language. It's still very important, right? Really critical. That was the thing we used to talk about 30 years ago, 40 years ago, right? Everybody needs a foreign language. Mm -hmm. Coding became the new foreign language, right? Everybody needs to know how to code, right? So then everybody went to CS. I will argue today because I told her next year in eighth grade, there was this data analytics course. Mm -hmm. And I said, you really need to take it. Oh, why do I need to know that? She wants to be a writer. And I, you know, I see this in journalism today. The journalists that are getting hired are people who know how to manipulate and see trends in big data sets and are able to tell stories through data. Data to me is now the basic building block of so many jobs. Mm. So I think we've gone from foreign language, still important, coding and computer science, still important. Now data analytics, important. I don't know what it's going to be in five years, but I think that this is what we should be looking at no matter what your major is. Yeah, that's a good point. I I mean, I went to Chapel Hill, and I was a journalism major there. And at the time, there were four tracks. You know, you had broadcast, you had photojournalism, you had kind of your news media type track or whatever. And now, of course, all that is just merged. You've got to be able to take your own pictures, create your own site, write your own article. I mean, everything is combined. And I think that all speaks back to what you're referring to on skills. You know, Rick, I've known you for how long? And I had never known you were a journalism major. So there is life after journalism. I guess it's an admissions, right? (laughs) And to your point, I was a Spanish major. So I saw the benefit, uh, you know, at 30 years ago or whatever, of knowing a second language as you you moved into your future. But I think what's interesting about both of what your majors you just said is, has anybody ever asked you what your major was, right? Right. They don't care. Can you do the job? That's what they right. care about. Yeah. Well, and to your point, I mean, connections and network. And we, we talk a lot about that here, you know, at Georgia Tech is the idea of putting kids in a room together who couldn't point to where the other one's from on a map. And right off the bat, there's going to be value and growth that's going to occur. And that's going to translate across not just your four years, but 40 years afterwards as well, because of all the different types of connections and network that's going to be established as a result, for sure. Well, and to your point about doing your job, Jeff, thank you for the job you do, because I think you really highlight a lot of important information that is is sometimes overlooked and sometimes not dug into deep enough. So we really appreciate you. I loved being on this and, uh, and thank you for the job you both do. And, uh, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode with Jeff Salingo. To learn more about Jeff and his work, you can visit his website at jeffsalingo.com or follow him on social media. We will also include all of the references today in the show notes of the podcast episode page. We also want to thank our sponsor, Johns Hopkins Press. The press provides global access and delivers impact through publishing and distributing innovative ideas and scholarship. Johns Hopkins Press connects people to the most trusted knowledge from global researchers, scholars, and educators. 
To learn more about the work and publications, go to press.jhu.edu. Thanks again for listening, and we will be back soon with another episode.